Hey guys, welcome to the Learn Feng Shui podcast, where you'll learn feng shui from a classical point of view, taking out the myth and superstition. So if you're interested in learning feng shui, Chinese astrology, all things Chinese metaphysics, as well as the superstitions and myths that connect it all, you'll enjoy learning feng shui with me. Hey guys, today we're going to discuss a lesser known aspect of feng shui, which is soil quality. Did you know that the quality of the soil that your home is built on can actually impact you also? So we're going to discuss why and how this can impact you and the importance of the soil quality around your space. And for Folklore Friday, we're going to get into the goddess of the silkworm. Yin Yang Chi is emitted as wind rises as clouds, descends as rain, and then seeps back into the ground. This is the storage place of Xing Chi. So Xing Chi is what is called life generating Chi. And soil quality plays this crucial role in feng shui as it's a storage place of what is called this life generating Chi. And of course, it's often overlooked. The quality of her soil and her property can affect the flow of energy and chi, like I just talked about, which is the very aspect, the very nature of what we want to accomplish with feng shui. You know, it's to um, gather the chi and harness it, you know, bring it into our homes. The soil quality can determine the health and vitality of both the plants and trees in our space, you know, the, the vegetation around us and in our home. So it's an essential element to creating a harmonious environment. So poor quality soil can actually lead to a host of other problems, which can create stagnant energy and negatively impact the overall energy flow of your home. So it is important to pay attention to the soil quality on the property, and I'll talk about how to take measures to improve it. So let's get into soil quality. I'm going to start off reading from the book Feng Shui for Homebuyers Exterior Edition by Joey Yap. So everything is going to be linked in the show notes. I have a lot of resources for this episode, so um, go check it out. So soil quality does fall on under the assessment of what is called landform feng shui. So landform feng shui is literally about assessing your external environment. Your external environment, I cannot speak today. <laughs> your external environment is a large portion of your feng shui. It's said to govern up to like 70% of your feng shui. So I don't know how they came up with these numbers, but it is said if you have really good landform exterior to your home that you're, you won't have to do a lot of things like add feng shui cures and, and fix things because the feng shui that's coming and gathered into your home is pretty lucky. It's pretty auspicious. And again, soil quality falls under this category. So it does say here to make a quick use of classical landform feng shui without having a full and comprehensive understanding of what is called the entering earth eye classics, which I look for online, by the way, I can find um, a central ancient text on landform feng shui is to observe soil colors. By looking at the soil color, you can determine what mountains are influencing the land. So the trade secret of many top feng shui masters is to check the soil quality to determine the quality of the land. It is important to remember also, um, he kind of addresses this here. It says when you're checking the soil, like if you really want to make a soil assessment, you're going to want to dig down about two feet because 
as we know, you know, landscapers and gardeners will put on that topsoil to kind of improve or help the plants grow a little bit. So first step, dig down about two feet. And according to the iproperty.com, um, there is another article that was written by Joey Yap with the uh, about soil quality. I'm going to link it, of course, to a really great article, actually. Um, it says here, just by digging a few feet into the ground, the color and quality of the earth below the topsoil will tell you much about the chi of the land. And it says here, you know, just, just before we even consider the color, it says if the soil is soft and loamy, it is a positive indication that your land is good and filled with the positive chi. But on the other hand, if you see like a bunch of rocks and pebbles, it does tell that positive chi doesn't circulate very well on this space. On the topic of rocky soil, it says here that you may find in addition to the color of the soil, the quality of the soil is also important. So if you have the right color soil, but the soil is rocky, um, then it has a lot of like rocks or boulders in it, like, like real bad, right? Um, there's two issues, he says, to consider. And one of them is, of course, the expense to remove all these rocks and boulders to actually make the space livable, you know, especially if you're buying a piece of land. And secondly, he says that the land becomes rocky due to wind exposure. And when you have strong winds, of course, the chi is dispersed because what is the saying in feng shui? Chi is dispersed by the wind and gathers at the boundaries of water. So it says here the chi is dispersed by the wind, um, you know, and so it's not being gathered on this property. And it does say here that you should make several visits at different points of the month, maybe, um, especially when we're having, you know, like the strong gusty winds in the spring and the fall, um, because um, that means that the chi or the energy just doesn't gather very well at your property. It's dispersed too easily. Finally, soil colors. Um, here it does state that one of the best signs you can see is greenish color soil. So it says the soil indicates that the it is governed by the wood element. So the wood element strong in this area. It says that wood chi is conductive for prolonging life, maintaining good health, and as identified as being supportive for those who seek to elevate their status and raise reputation. As such, professions would require a reputation such as like a writer, or celebrity would benefit from this type of chi, maybe if you're an influencer, right? Um, as wood is also symbolic of growth, these uh, influenced by the element are likely to become more sentimental and benevolent in nature. So that sounds good to me. One thing you have to look for when you're looking at greenish soil though, it's gonna actually make sure you don't have drainage problems. So um, make sure that these soils aren't these colors because there's an issue with them. Um, generally, like, I mean, I'll kind of notice that I get a little bit of like moss or mold on top of my, my soil sometimes. So again, to kind of digging down and you wanna make sure that it's not like on the top surface and you're you know digging and the dirt is naturally just a little bit green. A yellowish soil is associated with the element of earth and represents stability and wealth generation. These are types of lands that are supportive to banking industry and businessmen in general. One thing you want to look for if you have yellowish or yellow brown soil is to make sure that um, there's good drainage and the dirt is not compacted down too much. Soil that is a pale white color is usually associated with the element of metal. And it does say here, 
such quality is suited for politicians, leaders, or people in the military, as this element represents power and authority. I would say police officers too here, or somebody in law enforcement. Um, lands associated with wood, earth, and metal are usually the most sought after, and they are classified in feng shui as superior land due to benevolent influence on those who reside in them. And so it does state that here in the book, it says you want to actually have the, the soil that's associated with the three, um, again, with the green, yellow, and white soil. So you can kind of see a mixture sometimes of the soil. I did, I've heard this before, and I really tried to find another article. I, I swear I saw somebody in one of the, the feng shui forums like on facebook on one of the groups talk about the different colored soil or like the tricolored soil i could not find that i could not find that post so if i do i'll link it in the notes but it is said again if you have a soil with these three colors in it ooh, excellent feng shui soil which is associated with water is black so this element is not only linked to intelligence but also movement and leisurely pleasure so such lands commonly associated with tourist sites in some cases those who stay in them tend to travel away to seek opportunity elsewhere as the water element is also related to instability and i to this i kind of tend to think of like lava rock and hawaii right a lot of people travel there and um yeah a lot of people also move away so reddish or purple land is associated with the element of fire. Although I've never seen purple, I'm assuming it can totally be a thing. Um, it says here, due to its association with passion, such land is not conductive to domestic occupation as it would influence the residents to become overbearing. Normally, this best sort of usage for the fire element land is for religious or spiritual establishments. And, you know, this really makes me think of like areas like Sedona that are said to be energy vortexes. Hmm, really makes you think, right? So now that you've maybe assessed your soil and you're like, hmm, you know, thinking, it got you thinking, right? What kind of soil do you have in, in your land? Um, you know, what can you do now if you're thinking about it and you're like, you know, I don't have great quality soil. Um, so you're in the same boat as me. It's really okay. So we can do things to improve the quality soil around our space um, and thus harness and gather a little bit better chi, you know, even though it doesn't fix everything perfectly. I mean, it's better than it was, right? Um, so looking at the book, uh, not the book. I'm looking at the website here, fengshui.net. There is an article called um, Climate Change and the Qi Connection by Master Gail Smith, who is super intelligent, uh, by the way. Um, she does kind of address the fact that climate change does change our soil quality. And it says here, um, you know, Carbon dioxide monitors show that during the spring months, peaking around May, when our atmosphere is at its highest CO2 levels, this actually coincides with the practice of tilling and stripping land in the northern hemisphere. So it's time where vast sections of the planet are laid bare of vegetation, and it is the practice of removing vegetation that is getting the blame for turning at least 20 cradles of civilizations from lush to sandy environments, which is actually pretty sad. It says here, scientists have now surmised that farm tilling and deforestation around castles um, over time turned thick and fertile soil into very sandy soil. And I think that really is the issue here, um, especially with my soil, because 
I have a home that was built on a former cotton field. And so we're big harvesters of, of cotton here in this part of, of Texas. And we have this nice flat sandy soil, which is perfect conditions for cotton to grow. And so my home was actually built outside the city limits. It was a former cotton field. And you can tell this land has been stripped and used up. <laughs> so um, again, just kind of the stripping of this is what, what really can mess you up. And so that kind of brings me for, to my first point of planting cover crops. So one thing you can do to improve the soil is to actually plant a cover crop. I think the biggest thing that comes to mind when I think about cover crops is the solution to the dust bowl. So if you live here in the United States and you know, you've been in school at all, you'll know that uh, during the Great Depression, we had the luck of also having something called the Dust Bowl. And so this was also due to over farming and over stripping the land and leaving us with just like bare, very dusty, dry land that was unusable. And one of the solutions for this was actually to, uh, the government actually planted 220 million trees to stop the soil from blowing on what are called the Great Plains. So um, just that kind of the cover crop, um, it helped to reduce the soil erosion and keep moisture in the soil. So um, again, kind of going to things like uh, conservation and planting the cover crops. Cover crops actually do help to uh, prevent soil erosion. A kind of recent example of this that I can think of is locally we have a seasonal corn maze that's open during the fall season, which it's literally a maze made out of corn. Um, and uh, you know, kind of a little play on words, it's, it's made out of maize, M-A-I-Z-E. <laughs> so just kind of a little play on words there. But you know, you go pick your pumpkins and you go through the corn maze, right? Uh, that type of, of situation, go take a little hayride, really fun. So last year they actually didn't get enough rain in the springtime and their crop was doing extremely poorly. And so they actually didn't plant the corn maze, they actually, plant, um, they actually planted a different type of cover crop that used less water. And, um, you know, they kind of stated that corn was just so, it needed so much water and we were just kind of facing a little bit of a drought last year. They did plant a multi-species cover crop um, that grew things like sorghum, millet, um, and uh, okra and radishes. And it did actually in turn help the soil quality also. So yeah, just kind of an example of how you can improve it. So cover crops are, in addition to being used for slowing erosion down, it does improve the soil health. It improves the way the plants absorb water, kind of breaks down that soil, aerates a little bit, and encourages things like worms to come in. It also helps smother out weeds, control pests, and can increase the um, biodiversity in the area. So if you are thinking about, you know, what could you kind of plant as a cover crop, um, even to replace your grass if you even wanted to, um, just look locally at what grows best in your area. So another thing you can do to improve the quality of your soil is make living soil. So um, if you think about um, after it rains, right, or if you've had a heavy rain and you have mushrooms pop up in your yard, that means you have a really good quality soil. You might not, might not think about that, right? Or if you dig down and you find like a lot of earthworms, that means you have a good quality soil. You have what is called a live or living soil. And so going back to the quote from the beginning of the, the episode in the intro, um, 
the the quote was to bury is to store and ride on Xing Qi and yin yang qi is emitted as wind rises clouds descends as rain and seeps back into the ground and is the storage place of Xing Qi so again going back to the feng shui.net which i quoted all this from it says Xing Qi is growth or life qi and it is a force that rises from the soil as a vapor it's protected from scattering it rises to the clouds and returns as regenerative rain. If the process is not met, the opposite of Xing Qi is created and a Sha Qi is actually created. So Sha Qi is supposed to be like killing or attacking negative energy, right? So Sha Qi makes life more difficult and normally results in poverty and relocation of people. So to grow and prosper, we do need Xing Qi. She states here that it was not until the 19th century that scientists even considered soil as a living entity. That was nearly 2,000 years after Guapu's textbook on soil profiling was even written. And so they knew for some time that just one handful of soil contains more living organisms than our people on the planet. Instead, it took the transforming of nearly 20% of our soil becoming fragmented and infertile before they even took notice. I'm not going to talk too much about the um, way you make living soil or a live soil, but just know that it can be done um, if you wanted to. I mean, there's a million articles online. You can watch some videos. Um, probably one of the easiest ways is just do, you know, compost because that is naturally breaking down and creating, um, think of it kind of like your stomach, right? You need those probiotics in your stomach to make a healthy uh, gut bacteria. Same thing with soil, you're gonna need healthy bacteria to make a healthy soil. So just think of it that way. And if you are interested, just kind of do a little research um, and make a nice healthy soil for your little uh, plant friends. I think it is important to note that even if we have the not so great soil quality, it is very possible to regenerate the soil and make it a place that's hospitable to our you know, our living conditions, right? Um, it does say here from the same article, the good news is that lush Xing Qi and lush vegetation can be restored. Soil generation is still possible even when the ground is baked hard or as loose as sand. And the lowest plateau is one successful story of regeneration. It says here, for thousands of years, the plateau supported lush agriculture, but tilling and deforestation turned the lush area into dust. And by the second millennia, this plateau was the most eroded and poverty-stricken places in the planet with just 10% of vegetated cover. China called in experts worldwide after studying the situation and putting in many years of hard work. They've restored this plateau back to its lush landscape. I hope I'm saying it right. It's L-O-E-S-S, Lois. <laughs> this resulted in millions of people being lifted out of poverty and family members who left work uh, to... To support their families could actually return back to the area. Many such projects are going on worldwide and it does say too bad it took 2,000 years for soil scientists to accept soil as a living entity when the information was already available. And it does say here too bad they hadn't studied a feng shui, which yeah, I agree. <laughs> 
So if you're one that says like, I don't care about my lawn and I just do the bare minimum on it. So I get that too, right? Um, there's a couple things you can do also, which is planting some low maintenance, uh, decorative grasses that are kind of native to your area. And those will usually take off and spread by themselves pretty easily. Um, another thing is you can just let nature take over. You can let nature take over. You're just forget about mowing, see what grows there done right as long as you're not going to get like a fine from your hoa or from the city right you kind of let nature take over take its course and that will actually improve the soil quality also so you might want to do this in a section of your yard you know um, or another thing is you can just throw a bunch of butterfly mix out you don't have to till the soil a lot it grows by itself low maintenance and you are again providing to the environment you're, you're giving the environment a little love there <laughs> so let's go ahead and take a quick ad break and we're going to come back with folklore friday and the tale of the goddess of the silkworm from whisperingbooks.com the Goddess of the Silkworm, a Chinese folktale. Hong Ti was the emperor of China. He had a beautiful wife whose name was Si Ling. The emperor and his beloved wife loved their people and they always thought of their happiness. In those days, the Chinese people wore clothes made of skins. But by and by, animals grew scarce and the people did not know what they should wear. The emperor and the empress tried in vain to find some other way of clothing them. One morning, Hong Ti and his wife were in the beautiful palace gardens. They walked up and down, up and down, talking to their people. Suddenly, the emperor said, Look at the worms on the mulberry tree, Seedling. They seem to be spinning. Seedling looked, and sure enough, the worms were spinning. Along a thread was coming from the mouth of each, and each little worm was winding the thread around its body. The next morning, Hong Ti and the Empress walked under the trees again. They found some worms still winding thread. Others had already spun their cocoons and others were fast asleep. In a few days, all the worms had spun cocoons. This is indeed a wonderful, wonderful thing, said Zeeling. Why each worm has a thread on its body long enough to make a house for itself. Seedling thought about this day after day, and one morning as she and the emperor walked under the tree, she said, I believe I could find a way to weave those long threads into cloth. But how would you unwind the thread, asked the emperor. I'll find a way, Seedling said, and she did. She had to try many, many times. She put the cocoons in a hot place, and the little sleeper soon died. Then the cocoons were thrown into boiling water to make soft thread. After that, the long threads could be easily unwound. Now Seedling had to think of something else. She had to find a way to weave the thread into cloth. And after many trials, she made a loom, the first that was ever made. She taught others to weave, and soon hundreds of people were making cloth from the threads of silkworms. The people ever afterwards called Seedling the goddess of the silkworm, and whenever the emperor walked with her in the garden, they liked to watch the silkworm spinning threads for the good of their people. 
This tale of the silkworm goddess does correspond with the eighth solar cycle called Small Sprout, um, in which the this is the time of year where the silkworms actually start to hatch. So they do observe this, I suppose, in different areas of the uh, the world. Um, it says here they do celebrate the birth of the silkworm goddess, whose birthday actually also happened to be on this small sprout time. So given that the majority of the women would make a living, not to mention dress themselves and their families by weaving silk, the silkworm was considered a creature ordained from heaven. In some regions, silk reelers would also visit temples to pay their tributes to the silkworm goddess. And usually this would occur in the form of fruit, liquor, and a type of snacks made from a flower that resembles a cocoon. So don't forget to check the link in the show notes for all the info and sources on the show that I referenced today. And of course, if you need to get in contact with me, ask me questions, or if you'd like that free energy mapping, please uh, you know, visit that link tree and all the links are in there also. I'll catch you guys not next week where we'll have a week off. Happy Memorial Day if you're here in the U.S. Um, if not, <laughs> then just have a great weekend. Have a great week. And I'll catch you at the beginning of June for June's Energy Update. Man, can't believe this year's flying by so fast. For a free energy mapping of your floor plan, please check the link in the show notes. To support today's podcast, go to learnfengshui.com, sign up for emails, leave a review, and share with your family and friends.